I'm doing a series the last few weeks called God Is. God Is, and we're filling in the blank each week. We started out talking about God as a merciful Father, the dominant characteristic of His description of the Bible. But we also learned that God is a just judge. If I reject Him as a merciful Father, I'll face Him as a just judge. Last week we talked about God is in control. Remember Isaiah 46.10, Scripture says, On God's behalf, only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan comes to pass, for I do whatever I wish. He's in a class all by himself. Last week we saw God's sovereignty in the life of Joseph. But this morning's message is called, God is the Creator. God is the Creator. We're going to do two parts on this. Uh, the, the, the formats will be very similar in both messages, but the content will be different. Um, God is the Creator. Genesis 1.1 is where we begin. And this is a profound scripture. I want you to say it with me. Genesis 1.1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that's the way the Bible begins. In the beginning, God. As you pause on that just a moment, in the beginning. In the beginning of what? Before there was time... Before there was an earth, before anything was created that we know and see, God was preexistent. God is eternal, and time began. Time began in Genesis 1-1. Time will end in Revelation 21. But eternity is forever, and God inhabits eternity. But God was preexistent. Secondly, He created the heavens and the earth. The earth we know, heavens, there's three types of heavens in the Bible. One is the heaven is called the sky. It's what we can see, the firmament in the heavens. Then there is the second heaven, which is the universe. It's all the creation. The third heaven, Paul talked about when he said he was caught up into the third heaven and he had, saw the Lord and had revelation from God. But God created this. Now, uh, this is true or false? If you've been going to school for the last 50 years, more so as of late, you're told it's false. They may not say it directly, but no mention of God. There's no such thing as God. Hence, there has to be another solution. There is a, there is a big bang. There is something else. So, if it's true, then there's an all-powerful God who created the universe and people with purpose, to whom one day we'll give an account. If it's false, then there is perhaps evolution, natural selection, and some unexplained force that produce everything that exists it seems to have no accountability and no purpose to it. Obviously, you know the side I'm on. I want to show you a little quick video because when we say God created things in the world, let's put a little visual context to it. So take a peek at this and then we'll be in Isaiah 45. Throughout creation, God's power is displayed. From the new growth of plants in the spring to new life forming in the womb. Wherever we turn, the Creator's energizing power is unmistakable. He guides the stars in their courses above. He formed the majestic mountains. He maintains the beneficial seasons. And in His hand is the life of every living thing.
Let me first share some verses with you about God as creator, and then we'll talk about people who don't believe that God is the creator. Isaiah 45, verse 18, Thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it, He established it. He did not create it empty, but He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. In other words, he is exclusive God. Uh, Not multiple gods, not pick the God that you want, but there is one God. But I want you to notice that phrase where it said that he formed the earth to be inhabited. At this point in time, scientists have not found any other planet that can maintain life as ours does. But God is the one, or God, the scripture presents a God who takes credit for being able to create the, the, the sea creatures. I mean, uh, if you've ever taken a cruise or been on a ship on the ocean, maybe you saw whales, uh, maybe you've been swimming and you saw sharks. Well, there's this one class of animals that can live on, you know, whatever, the top 100, 200 feet of water. But the deeper the divers go, they find a different kind of life. And the deeper they go, the more different life they find. And the stuff that lived on top couldn't live on the bottom. And what's on bottom couldn't live on top. And God says, I created that. God is the one that created every bird that flies. I'm praying now that he creates ducks that fly in front of my gun this fall. But God is the one, listen, God is the one that puts into the little hummingbird something to cause it to literally travel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles to migrate to a place of safety after the winter, and somehow they find their way back to your house. My mother has hummingbirds like, like, like bumblebees, and obviously she doesn't tag them, but they come back every year. They leave and they come back every year the same number. God is the one that does these type things. God is the one that causes the little worm to create the cocoon and at the right time to come out as a butterfly. God is the one that is behind the processes, and God is the one that put oxygen in the air to breathe. We take it for granted. Every atheist takes for granted oxygen that they didn't create without which they could not live their lives. God is the one that created just the right blend of oxygen. God is the one that created a cycle where where trees will produce oxygen. They'll take in the carbon dioxide. God is the one that's responsible for the cycle of rain. You know, where transpiration, water comes up and it comes down. God's behind all this, the scripture says. Now, now these people that are writing, if you and I were to write on a subject today, we would write from a, a history of about 50, 60 years of our life, and we would be somewhat similar in writing. But the authors that are recording these verses are written throughout the Bible, hundreds of years apart, but yet God is identified in the same way. 2 Timothy 1.9, God saved us, called us with a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of His own purpose and grace. Now listen to this. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Before the beginning of time, God had envisioned what Christ the Son must do because the choice that we would make through Adam and Eve in sin. And God envisioned the cross. The cross was not God's last-ditch plan. If you've watched our CDC with Ebola the last few weeks, it scares me, I've got to be honest. As a, as a human being, as just an individual watching them, I, they, they don't know if I can sit on the bus next to somebody and catch it or not. I mean, the same guy in the same paragraph will say, if you're on the bus, you can't catch it from somebody, but if you have a temperature over so-and-so, don't sit on the bus because you might give it to somebody. They don't inspire confidence in me. But God says, before time began. Now, now, now he's, he's off the chart with me already. Because everything that I can grasp has some time-space dimension to it. 
you know, in my math class, when the teacher would talk about it goes on for infinity, we drew a little squiggly circle. But I never stopped to think about what that squiggly circle, or that squiggly line meant, is it goes on perpetually. That's the, the, that's the realm God lives in, Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. Now listen, now we're talking about the stars, the sky. The skies display His craftsmanship. When you stand and, 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 it's in, and the sun is going down in the evening or the, coming up in the morning, the clouds are just a brilliant red around it, and you just you stop and you look at it. When you see the beauty of a rainbow or a double rainbow, you just you stop. You're, you're drawn to that. This is what the Bible is talking about, God's craftsmanship. Day after day, there's a language this glory speaks. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound or a word, and their voice is never heard. In other words, the sun is not saying, Hey, people, God did this. No. It just sends the right amount of heat so we don't burn up, though it feels like it in Texas sometimes in the summer. But it sends the right amount of heat, and it comes at just the right time. And it doesn't stay around 24 hours unless, it, of course, the northern lights and thing. But, 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 but God created this. Uh, Jeremiah 32 says this, O Lord God, if, if it's you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arms. Now, you won't find that in a modern biology book. You won't find that on the show Cosmos. It's a, uh, it was a Morgan Freeman, one of my favorite actors, narrates. You won't hear this. And it's this very point that I want to bring you to today because all of us, if you're under 60 years of age, have been educated. When you went to school and they talked about origins, you saw, you know, a, a, a pond scum and monkeys and then you. Now, next week I'm going to talk about evolution and I'm going to show you what the Smithsonian shows as your, as your heritage. They've got it all figured out pretty good. But uh, uh, we'll talk about that next week. But, but let's talk about the broader creation this morning. Now, let's talk about life without God. I think this will help you immeasurably living your life and forming your worldview. And it's simply, I want to look at what anyone tells me, a newscaster, a professor, uh, uh, you know, my uncle, uh, the guy on the radio, talk radio, is the starting place for them, no God or God. The starting place of people that say you came from monkeys is no God. The starting place, right, this week in Houston, Texas, of course, big, big deal, uh, six pastors were subpoenaed because uh, uh, the mayor wanted their sermons because th they were against uh, transgendered bathrooms, which basically means this. It, I may have a male body. The way you know that, you look in the mirror, you look down, and you know if it's a male or a female. But, but, but if I feel like a woman, then it's okay. Now, that used to be a disorder even in the, uh, the diagnostic manual that mental health workers use, but, but not any longer, see, because we get to decide. We get to make up the rules under the no-God side. And we make up the rules. So, so this, uh, this mayor wants to sue these pastors because these pastors said something like this. We don't want men coming in the women's restroom. Uh, we don't want uh, boys going in the girls' locker room. Now look, when I was 17, I'd have told you anything if I could have gone in the girls' locker room during, during gym. I'd have been a transgender. I had no clue what it was. But, I mean, gosh, if you can go in a girl's locker room, if you just say you're one, I mean, why not? Where does that... Some things that just seemed insane. Uh, how about the population control people? Oh, well, we can't have too many people on the earth because we can't feed them all. 
my dad and my brother grow three or four thousand acres of, uh, of corn uh, and soybeans, but the corn is just to make uh, uh, fructose for your soda pops, you know what I mean, feed the pigs. So what if they grew potatoes, just those two guys? I mean, you, we can feed the world. I mean, we're America's breadbasket. But, oh, we're concerned because we won't have enough. They make no place for the God who created it is the God who sustains it. And, and, and God's trying to get as many people to heaven as he can. And you have people trying to just take the... Consider the barbarism of post, uh, post-birth abortion. Now, I could understand a little bit when science hadn't told us what goes on inside the womb and when the woman feels pain, when the child feels pain. Come on now. It's no question in Roe v. Wade now if it's a human being or not. But I can't get my mind around partial birth abortion where a child in the process of birth could save, survive outside the womb, but it's legal to take that child's life. Where does that come from? No God. So kind of with that understanding, the basis of truth, what's right and how do we know? Is it divine revelation or is it man's reason? Let me tell you where it came from. 13th century, there was a tremendous man. He was a Catholic theologian. I'm going to need about five, six extra minutes today, okay? Not many of you said, okay. I, I was expecting this resounding, gosh, pastor, it's just going so good. Just take all the time you want, you know. It's okay. Sorry. I'll do it anyway. You can leave if you need to. 13th century, there's a Catholic theologian, Thomas Aquinas. Now, listen, he was a tremendous man. Both Catholics and Protestants alike, even to this day, herald his work in theology, what he did. But he made a mistake. He said truth could come from two sources, divine revelation and human reason. God, no God, could both come up with truth or what's right. Now, there's always been an undercurrent in humanity of people that don't believe in God, particularly prominent in Greek thought, Roman thought. But in this particular case, he gave the secular university, they built their systems of knowledge without the Bible. That's why you can go to classes today, uh, college in particular, but, well, high schools, public schools, in any case, and, and you don't hear a mention of God. Kids try to read their Bible. Listen now, a five-year-old tries to quote a Bible verse, what they said at Christmas, and the teacher says that's not allowed in school. But where does that come from? No, no God. It comes from no God. Well, uh, they followed him. And what happened, these people were humanists. That's what they call themselves. They became atheists, and they declared there is now no God. And they're involved in every area of our life. Now, let's look at a little more history. 1828, a man named Charles Darwin. Remember him? Evolution, origin of the species. Do you know he entered Cambridge University to prepare for Christian ministry? And when he started his life, he said he believed every word of the Bible. But something happened to him. He became an apostate, which means he, he used to believe in God, but then he quit believing in God. It's what happens to most kids when they go to public universities today is because these intelligent professors, come on, with PhDs, talk you out of your faith that's just simple and pure. That's why you need to be very careful who's influencing you. I don't care what age you are. You need to be careful what books you're reading. You need to be careful what classes you're taking, and particularly for your children, because if you get an influential person on the no-God side, they'll win your kid's heart. Um, anyway, but here's something that's very important. If you start with the wrong premise, you're going to end up with the wrong conclusion. You can have double, triple PhDs. You can be one of the most brilliant guys on the planet, but if your starting place is no-God, you're going to end up with a wrong conclusion. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, put the chart up for me, please. Everybody that's ever taken a psychology class knows what this is. Who, what is this? 
Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow was a psychologist, and he basically looked at man, and he's saying, "This is how this is how people exist and have and have lives. This is a kind of the purpose of life." You first want to meet your physiological needs, which means you need air and food and water, and then you need a house to live in. Uh, you, you, know, you probably want to get married, and you need to have some friends. You want to feel good about yourself. But the, but the goal in life is self-actualization. Be all you can be. Have it your way. You make the rules. You can do whatever you want to in life. You're the boss. What he didn't tell us in this is he should have had a big two-foot asterisk under here and said, no God. Because, you see, he was a humanist. Now, does this make sense? No, it makes sense to me. Listen, I want, I want air. You don't think you need air? Just put a plastic bag over your head and give yourself about a minute. That makes sense. I need safety. I need a wife. Blah, blah, blah. I need all these things, and I want my life to make a difference. But if God's not involved in it, you're going to end up in the wrong conclusion. Do you know what Solomon would have said? The book of Ecclesiastes, wisest man of the Old Testament, if he had a chart, he'd have put his asterisk and said, God... And then he said, yeah, you need something to eat. Yeah, you need a house. But at the top, he quoted the verse in the last two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, hear the conclusion of the matter. The whole duty of man is to fear God and obey His commandments because one day you're going to give an account to Him. That is different from Maslow. Maslow has truth in it. It is reasonable but if it doesn't include the right starting place, you're going to end up in a ditch. I'm preaching way better than some of you are reacting with this here. Uh, you may be sitting there and thinking, golly, I got a psychology degree. which is Well, I got a minor in psychology too. <laughs> Throw it all, most of it away. Felt good when you were doing it. No, if there is no God, where did the universe and life come from? That's a good question. If there's no God, if you're going to go that route, since Einstein, early 1900s, scientists believed that space, time, and matter had a beginning. Sounds like Genesis 1-1. But those who don't believe in God, the no-God crowds, use words like the Big Bang or the God particle instead of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Humanist Manifesto, their first point says the universe is self-existing and not created. What does that mean? The universe is self-existing. That is, it exists apart from any cause. It just is. Well, that's the exact way Scripture describes God. Revelation 1.8, God says, I am, Jesus talking now, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is present, who was past, and who is to come, the future. I am the Almighty. So somehow the no-God crowd gives the same stature to the created order as the Creator. Richard Dawkins, a, a, a brilliant uh, uh, biologist uh, and atheist, he said, life evolved out of literally nothing. Some 10 billion years after the universe evolved literally out of nothing. So, something can come from nothing with nobody doing it for no reason. Now, is that reasonable or does that take faith to believe that? He said, believing in God, this is a brilliant man now. If I were to debate him, he'd shut me down about five minutes until he was through raking me over the coals. And then I'd just say, uh, excuse me, 
what started your Big Bang? Where'd the dying star come from? You're just a stupid preacher. Sit down. You don't have to be brilliant to be able to respond to this stuff. You just have to step back and you have to ask some basic questions. He said believing in God is like believing in a teapot orbiting Mars. We went to the Smithsonian uh, a few, week, few months ago. And there was a, in the planetarium, there was a, 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 an exhibit about stars and creation. And something caught our attention. Well, the narrator was Whoopi Goldberg. And I've always liked Whoopi, especially on the little nun movie she was in. So she was basically just, you know, parroting what the scientists said. And uh, they said, a dying star created life on Earth. Caught my attention. But what amazed me is they said, maybe and perhaps. And I thought that was a good thing. I, I was communicating with an atheist several months ago, and I asked him where things came from. He said the same thing. He said, a dying star. That's a brilliant guy. A dying star, when it was dying, it released elements necessary for creation. And the simpleton, I guess I am, I said, where did the dying star come from? And he said, that's a regressive argument. That's not a conversation I want to have. <laughs> okay. There's a Bible verse for people that, you know, are, like I've been talking about the last 10, 15 minutes. And I don't say this with any arrogance. But the Bible says this. You, you say it with me. Psalm 14, 1. There's no God. The fool says in his heart there's no God. Now, the Bible says God created the universe. The fourth day of creation, listen to this, Genesis 1, 16. Six days he created. Seventh day he went duck hunting. Um, <laughs> fourth day of creation. It says God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day, it's the sun. The word interesting, govern, is interesting because it is the boss. And the lesser light to govern the night, that was the moon. He also made the stars. Now, the Big Bang says the earth is the result of a random explosion. Have you ever seen any bang or explosion that brought something into existence? Every explosion I've ever seen destroys. But what we're asked to believe is an explosion produced the great order we have today. Let's just pretend I'm at Big Bang Point. And I go, and the sun's out there. And I go, which, by the way, is a million times larger than our earth. And then I go, and the earth comes out here. And the earth is going, and all of a sudden it goes. Because if I'm 5% closer, the oceans will boil. But I'm glad it didn't just stop here, because if I am 1% farther away, the oceans will freeze. So you want me to believe that the kabang put the earth in exactly the place it needed to be and there's no purpose, rhyme, or reason behind it. You know, every design needs a designer and every building needs a builder. Psalm 147 verse 4, here's how the scripture describes it. God determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. There's billions of stars in our galaxy. How do we know that? Because astronomers gave us their best guess. That's right. 
They can count so many with, oh, they tell us there are hundreds, listen to this, that there are, that there are hundreds of billion, no, a hun- they say 100 billion galaxies, each with a billion stars. Well, how do they arrive at that? It's their best guess. They took an estimate based on what they know, what science told them, and then they just used a, a, a math formula, and that's what they believe. Now, he could easily... Ten years down the road, they could say, no, now we believe that there are 150 billion. But right now what we have is, that's the best science has to offer. But did you know for a thousand years the best science had to offer said the earth was flat? thousand years. In China, it was through the 1600s, people still believe the earth was flat. And if you didn't believe the earth was flat, you were a ding-dong. That's the best science could tell us, but science was wrong. Just throwing that out there. Why are schools so adamant about teaching against intelligent design? I can tell you. It's not because of scientific reason. It's because it doesn't fit the no God belief. Because if God exists, we are accountable to Him. And that's what they don't want. If, if you want to learn some more about this type discussion but go into a much more scientific study, we have a class that, uh, that does that. Joe, Joe, why don't you stand up? Joe Cruz? Joe, Joe teaches a class. They go into things that, that are just way, way deep out there. Joe, if Joe was a Smurf, he'd be Brainy Smurf. But uh, his class, I think, is 930, and, and they, that, they look at a lot of this if this interests you. Let me show you a little quick video, and then I'll head for wrapping it up. It's about the third day of creation when God put vegetation and plants and seeds on the earth. Take a peek at this. Every seed is a miniature miracle. God has programmed the tiny sequoia seed to become the largest tree on earth reaching nearly 300 feet tall and weighing many tons. God has designed the humble apple seed to yield a bounty of delicious fruit for years to come. And God has planned a multitude of seeds to produce spectacular blossoms in abundance. Consider the many varieties of seeds. As stated in Genesis, each seed always produces after its own kind. And just as the Lord intended, the fruits and byproducts that they bear have supplied the needed food and resources for man and his environment. Today, scientists have discovered what Scripture stated all along. Inside the unassuming seed is life itself. Contained within are living cells, tiny factories of amazing complexity. No scientist has been able to build a synthetic seed, and no seed is simple. Seeds are programmed to remain dormant until water and warmth are available. Who installed this ability to monitor temperature and humidity? Who determined the proper time for the seed to germinate? Who told the root, you must go down, and the stem, you must head upward? Do you see the guiding hand of our all-loving Creator? In order to sprout and thrive, seeds require the proper soil nutrients, the ideal properties found in water, 
the correct frequency spectrum of light, the right atmosphere, and the necessary pollinators. All of these must have been in place from the beginning in order for seeds to yield a harvest of blessings for mankind. Who told the root to go down and the stem to go up? Why, well, it was an atmospheric conflagration of the... <laughs> or, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plant yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. Did you hear him say, no one has ever been able to produce an artificial seed? We can genetically modify the seed, but we can't produce the seed. That's what God does. Let me wrap this up. If God is the creator, how should it affect the way that I live? If there is a God that is this powerful, if there is a God that one day I'm going to stand before him and give an account, if the Bible is accurate that said God knows every thought I think, every action, and it's recorded in a book, what, how should I respond to this? Well, I, the first one, and I'll give some more next week, is to live with humble dependence on God. Let me say that. To live with humble dependence on God. And I want you to contrast that with human pride. Let, let me read a passage to you. Uh, you know, if you have money and health, you don't need God. Now you do, but as long as the card is working, as long as you have mobility... The more education you have, the more opportunity you have. Come on now. If you have these things working, it's amazing how few people with, with power and wealth come to God because they live under this grand illusion that they're in control. James 4 says this. Some of you say today or tomorrow we're going to go to some city. We're going to go to Dallas. No, no, we're not going to Dallas. There's Ebola. We're, we're going to go to Little Rock. We're going to stay there a year, do business, and make money. Isn't that the way we talk? What are you doing today? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm going right Pat, and I'm going fishing. Uh -huh. uh, what are you, you going to do? Oh, I'm going to go home. I'm going to watch, watch, watch the ball game. I'm going to barbecue some ribs, have some friends over. Uh, what, what are you going to do? Well, you know, this week I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, Dallas. I meet with a, a, a banker up there, and, and I'm trying to start my own business. That's exactly what he's saying. Is anything wrong? Is all that factual? You hope it is, but you can't guarantee it is. Scripture says you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your life's like a mist, a puff of smoke. You can see it for a short time and then it's gone. So you should say, if the Lord wants or wills, we're going to live and do this or that. But now you're proud and you brag and all this bragging is wrong. I suggest the starting place for all of us is a humble recognition. It's what the book of, of Acts said. Paul said it. Paul said it in Christ. In Him I live and move and have my being. Which simply means everything I am, everything I have... Everything I can do and everything I ever will do is because of the goodness of God. Listen, I don't care if you are the greatest brain surgeon. You just accomplished the most uh, intricate brain surgery. After that 10 or 12 hour ordeal and the parents are thanking you for saving their baby and, and everybody and people can't believe it, at some point you look up to heaven and say, thank you. Because without your help, my hand would not have stayed steady. 
Without your help, I wouldn't have made the right decision. Without your help, we wouldn't have a process to be able to allow blood to be given from one person to another. Without your help, we wouldn't have a drug that could put somebody to sleep so they could be sedated. Without your help, men wouldn't have gone before me and studied this so they could have given me information that I didn't have on my own so I could do this very thing. Without your help, we wouldn't have a hospital. It wouldn't have been built here if you hadn't created the materials, the wood and the stone. If you hadn't shown men how electricity works, the, the machines wouldn't operate. If you hadn't have created water, we wouldn't be able to cleanse the wound. And this guy's got three Rolls Royces in his driveway and two airplanes out back because his wife's a lawyer. You understand what I'm talking about here? I mean, it's not how much you have, but the more you have, the more you think you don't need God. And it's a grand illusion. Let humility and dependence on God be our, be our, our, our mantra. Let's close with this. Second uh, Peter chapter 3. You know one day God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth? Stay with me on this. The, the, there, there were people in Peter's day that were saying, Well, where's this promise of Jesus coming back? Ever since my granddaddy was alive and I'm here, everything's the same. Sun comes up, sun goes down. We go to the fields, the crops come up, we, we harvest them, we sell them, we eat. and Everything is always the same. Here's what Peter said. By the same word, by God's word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Now, the Lord's not slow in keeping His promise, you that are wondering where it is. But he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. In other words, this is about hell. Hell is a literal place in the Bible. Hell is where people go, uh, not because we're bad. How I many know we're all bad? Every person is a sinner. But some people have looked to God for mercy. Some people have confessed their sin. Others have arrogantly and proudly said, I can live without God. One day, those who have rejected God's offer of mercy will face him as a just judge. But this Bible says he wants everyone to come to repentance. What is repentance? It's the turnaround in life where you begin to follow Jesus. My turnaround day was August 15th, 1976. Say, so how do you know that? I was there. I've been reading the Gideon Bible for days, and, and I just felt something in my soul, longing for God. And it said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become sons and daughters of God, even to those who would believe on his name. And I stopped that day living for John Miller. It was like I was driving a car, and I always had God in the back seat. I'd say help when I was in trouble, but I pulled over that day, and I invited God to drive the car of my life. That's what repentance is. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord, the second coming, will come like a thief. In other words, you won't, be, you won't know it. It's not going to be announced on Fox. It's not going to be on, on Caleb. The heavens will disappear with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed by fire. So all the, everything that's here, gone. The earth and everything done in it will all be laid bare or burned up. So every trophy you've won, every statue with somebody's name on it, every memorial built to it, it's all gone. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed, destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That's a question I'm going to leave with you today. What kind of people should you be? Knowing God's power before, but what's going to happen in the future? Here he answers the question. You ought to live holy and godly lives. Holy means this, to be set apart. To be set apart from my old life, the sinful life, 
and set apart to God. Set apart from the things of the world, set apart to the Lord Jesus. As you look forward to the day of God, but in keeping with His promise, here it is, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You say, why do we need that? You know the sun is destroying itself each day. Now, I don't know how long it's going to burn, a billion years, who knows. But it's kind of in decay. One day, God's going to give us a brand new heaven and earth. But guess what? They won't even be in need for a sun that day because the Bible tells us that Jesus himself is going to be the light. Um, That's a pretty big day. New heaven, new earth. So here's the creator at work again. Verse 14, I'll close. So then, since you're looking forward to this, in other words, you live each day expectation, make, say it with me, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. That's the way we should live, doing our best each day to walk with God. That when we fall up, that when we've somehow been influenced by no God or our own flesh, we don't justify it, but we turn to the cross and say, God, I I need to ask your forgiveness. Forgive me and wash me, Lord, because I want to keep following you. See, But let me, let me, we're going to have prayer, but I want to close with that little phrase, at peace with Him peace with God. Now that's not the kind of peace that I'm free from anxiety and I'm not worried. This has to do with the fact that our sin has separated us from God. The Bible even says that there's a a hostility between God and sinful man. That's why people are judged. That's why there's a wall, a a barrier. When Adam and Eve thought they were going to do this wonderful good thing and He gave us sin into the world, it all started falling apart. So right now, when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, He still loved them. But they were separated. There was no peace between them, no harmony. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to restore relationship with God. Jesus came so I could know my, Him not as the man upstairs, but as my Father, and I could be adopted as His son. You say, how does that happen? See, I was raised in church like many of you, but how many know going to church doesn't make you a Christian? What makes you a Christian is when you mix believing in Him Repenting, willing to change. Not performance, but your willingness to change and receiving Him as your Lord and Savior. So how do I do that? I'll tell you how I did it. I was laying in a Navy boot camp with tears in my eyes. Put a pillow over my head and says, God, I need you to forgive me. I want you to make me a brand new person. I give you my life today. And I've been following Jesus ever since. Maybe that's what you need today. You need peace with God. Maybe you need to commit your life to Christ. And whether it's the first time or whether you've gotten away from God, I'd like to give you that opportunity right now. If you need to get your life right with God, the Bible calls it being saved, being born again, having a real relationship with God and knowing His forgiveness, the next step is ours. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want peace with God. I want God to forgive my sins and I want to follow Him. If that's you, lift your hand real quickly. I want to pray for you today. I will not embarrass you, but I want to pray with you today. God bless you, sir. Other people today, come on quickly, lift your hands. Let's, let's pray together. Anybody gotten away from God? Somebody else? I see somebody pointing over here. Give them a big hand. Give them a big hand in the back. God bless you, dear. Somebody else say, pray for me. He said, pray for me. Say, well, why are you doing this? Because if you can't make a step to God when people are going to clap their hands, and listen, I don't want a thing from you. All I'm doing is pointing you to the Christ of the cross. And if I never see you again, I'm happy for what you've done. I'm going to give you some stuff to help you. Somebody will pray for you. But I know this. If you can't stand for Christ in a church where people clap, you'll never stand for Him in the world. 
At some point, we've got to make a bold step and say, I believe in Jesus. Anybody else before we say, pray? Say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to put my trust in Christ today. God bless you, pal. I'm proud of you. Anybody else today? God bless you, dear. I see your hand. Anybody else today? God bless you too, sir. I'm proud of you today. Listen, I want everybody that lifted their hands, come on up and let us pray for you right now. Come on, just continue clapping for them. You that lifted your hands, come on up. Come on up, let us pray for you right now. You that lifted your hands, making my step to Christ today. Come on, give them a big hand. Making my step to Christ today. Others, if you need to be with them, make your way. You that in the back, come on, let us pray for you. Never too young to make a step to Christ. We want to give you something as you come in. We're going to help you in your Christian life. God bless you. Others coming today. God bless you. God bless you. I need some believers coming, standing with them right now. I need some Christians to come and stand with you right now. I need some Christians. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, that angels in heaven rejoice more over one sinner who turns their heart to God than over 99 righteous people who don't need it. And I want to tell you, God is proud of you, and we're all proud of you today. Here's what I want to ask you to do. If you'll just walk right over here by the cross, and there's going to be some Christians over there. They're going to pray with you. I need some fellow believers. Y'all just walk right over here. I need some Christians to come and join them and pray with them right here. And they're going to give you a little book that will teach you how to live the Christian life and help you. We're going to close with prayer here and sing one last song, and we're gone. Next week, we'll do part two of this. I hope you'll bring somebody with you. Honored to be with you today. Don't forget to stop by that voting table. But our prayer team is going to come around the altar, and maybe you need prayer before you go home. Something happened in you, and you want to close in prayer. We'll do that with you today. A couple more prayer workers right around the front, and let's sing it one time, and then we'll be dismissed. I love you very much. In the name of Jesus. In every power, in